Welcome, welcome, welcome. What is up? This special Wednesday edition of Football Life Presents the Audible on this October 13th. I'm your host, Randy Hammond, alongside my co-host, Matt Bushnell. Matt, you feeling a little under the weather? You feeling a little bit better today? Able to do the show? How's it going out there? Well, you know, Randy, as an ex-football player and taking pride in my ability to play through dire conditions and dire, just not feeling the greatest, I'm here, Randy. I came here to show up. Look, weeks weeks go by in the NFL. You can't afford to take any time off. We still have shows to do and sports to talk about. So you're toughing it out for us. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, despite the microchip getting into your arm, you know, hopefully you're not going to get tracked too harsh. You know, I, I know that's a big deal right these days, but uh, you know, we're here. We're we're, we're knocking it out. Um, as episodes- long- as long as they don't hack into my emails. Well, that's topical because that's going to be our top <laughs> segment here. And it's not really something to joke about. But before we get to that, episode 76, Matt, and I, I know you have a somber one uh, for our number game that we play off the top. Yeah, Steve Mongo McMichael, Chicago Bears legend. And Randy, I totally forgot about it, but in the pre-show conversation that we were having, WCW wrestling legend, a member That's of right. the Four Horsemen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Lou Gehrig's disease. So anyone, everyone, you're a Bears fan, Packers fan, whatever fan you're out there, if you're a fan of the NFL, please send your prayers to Steve Mongol McMichael. We all know that Lou Gehrig's disease is undefeated. It, it's mm-hmm. a death sentence and you're just not going to beat it. But send prayers to him and his family, please. Yeah, even if you're not a football fan or you're a wrestling fan, like our friend Corey Richmond, he probably has vivid memories of uh, Mongo. And I, I believe, if my memory serves me right, he had a, a role in the uh, WrestleMania 11 uh, main event with with Lawrence Taylor and Ben Bigelow. So uh, a lot of NFL stars in that one. Uh, my number 76 is NFL Hall of Famer and legend Orlando Pace, uh, Rams tackle, uh, one of the best to ever do it. No doubt about that. I don't think I need to say any more about that, man. Uh, all right, Matt. So uh, as you <laughs> mentioned earlier in the show, uh, uh, the email is a bit of a controversy. Normally we start off recapping primetime, but we have a groundbreaking story that happened uh, during Monday Night Football. It actually kind of came out over the weekend. Uh, but John Gruden officially resigning as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders after a fallout from a New York Times article showing thousands of emails where Gruden made homophobic, misogynistic remarks after an earlier report of racist statements about uh, DeMar Smith, the NFLPA president. Um, you know, he cited he didn't want to be a distraction in his resignation statement. He apologized. He said he didn't mean to offend anybody. Um, I'm going to say something, you know, it's pretty short. You know, I don't think I need to talk too much about this, Matt. And you, you, I know you feel, I feel like you agree. Um, this is not new in the NFL. This has been a thing for a long, long time. And Gruden is not a unique case here. No, no, it's not. I mean, let's just face it. He deserved to get fired. Well, he deserved to get fired, but Mark Davis let him resign. And my bigger issue is here is, all right, fine, Gruden, out of the Buccaneers, ring of fame, fine, mm-hmm. that's good. You know, that's their prerogative. But the fact that Mark Davis let him stay on after they had to have known 650,000 emails, they had to have known what was in some of those other emails and they chose to do nothing. And the Raiders organization has to do a deep look into themselves and really, you know, maybe provide some answers why they let this go so long. 
Yeah, Gruden was in year four of a 10-year deal worth $100 million to be the biggest front, uh, you know, head man. And along with Mayock, who I assume Mayock will be gone here soon now, too. Uh, things are free-falling for the Raiders. And honestly, um, other than, hey, let's not have terrible opinions about people uh, that you might not understand. The other uh, lesson learned here is don't put things in emails. <laughs> I think we should have known that by now because um, these things will uh, surface eventually. So I uh, absolutely do not condone anything that John Gruden said. And I, I, I'm a big con uh, proponent of forgiveness and second chances. At, but at the same time, this is a repeated offense, something he clearly showed no remorse for until he got caught. And to me, um, you can make up for it and you can apologize and sort of um, shift your you know public view of yourself but at the end of the day behind the scenes we all kind of know who you are at this point um i don't know if you feel the same way matt but this feels like the tip of the iceberg i feel like so much more uh could come out of this because originally this investigation was of the washington football team front office and bruce allen so to me i don't know what, who had a hit out on gruden maybe because some of the emails had something uh had negative uh remarks about um roger goodell uh, maybe he wanted this pursued even more but to me there's a lot of emails here and we didn't even get to see any of them to me it wouldn't shock me if other high profile nfl people were on this list of emails oh absolutely i think it's a lot more prevalent than what anyone really wants to look into as far as nfl owners are concerned i i will say this you know at the end of the day we have to give it up to the chicago bears for ending the careers of not only <laughs> brett Favre but john gruden I, I would like to publicly thank the Chicago Bears for taking out one douchebag at a time. Good job, Chicago. Hey, you know, they're, 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 Bears have been mocked for a long time, but hey, who said that they can't get the job done when it matters most? Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, look, I don't think we need to talk too, more, too much more about this. I think Gruden's legacy was like, was kind of overrated before this. I think yeah. now he'll be completely uh, wiped out of the NFL world forever. I'm interested to see what happens to his brother and uh, his, I believe, his other brother, who's still on the Vegas staff. Uh, Deuce Gruden, I think, is still there. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen there. Jay Gruden, obviously, was a coach for a long time for Washington and, and others. So, um, look, I think Gruden had this legacy of being the guy who won the Super Bowl with the Bucks all those years ago, um, kind of after ditching the Raiders originally. This is not a good look. And I, I love the time he had with um, Tariqo in the Monday Night Football booth. The truth be told, this happened when he was in the uh, work for ESPN. So ESPN can come out there and condone all of this and, and have a big report and shun him for it. But at the same time, they, they probably should have known this is who this guy was. Um, but Gruden's gone. Uh, the temporary coach, Matt, did you see the name of that guy? Because I can't think of it off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, I saw it a lot today. A, a lot of high praise for a lot of people for him. Um, I, I from, from what you read, a special teams coach has been in the NFL for 17 years, should do a pretty good job. Um, Rich Basaccia. Rich Basaccia. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, you know, hopefully he does well. You know, I, I think Gruden may, may be an isolated incident for coaches because you got to imagine how hard is it to be like that. And keep in mind, no player has ever stuck up for Gruden when he left Tampa Bay. It was like a breath of fresh air. Players hated him. I mean, Chris Sims talked about it. They couldn't stand the guy. They yep. knew he was a phony. They knew he was a fake. He was two-faced, and he was a bad guy. Keyshawn Johnson, one of the more outspoken guys who said that. So to them, it wasn't a surprise. To us, uh, yeah, very much surprising to hear a guy involved with so many different types of people. When you're talking about the NFL, I mean, you'd be foolish to think that you know, a member of, you know, the gay community wouldn't be playing in the NFL, that 
you know, you wouldn't have, you know, all sorts of different minorities and to feel that way and to say those things and the written word is just appalling. So I'm, I'm glad the NFL is done with John Gruden. And then the other aspect of this as well, you know, they, him and Bruce Allen exchanged topless photos of cheerleaders with the, for the Washington <laughs> football team. Like this is the kind of thing that led up to how, this world we live in now, this social justice change, um, how people are treated who aren't like everybody else. I mean, Gruden is just one example of someone who looks down on people who are different from him and it's just not okay. And I think Dan Roblosky said it best, like football is a game for everybody. And um, it and sports in general should be a, a driver of diversity and equality. It should be something that brings us all together and should level the playing field. It shouldn't matter what you, who you are, where you come from, what you look like. If you're the best, if you're talented, you work hard, you're on the field and you only the best of the best get to that point. Um, and that's what sports should be. And unfortunately still, it's not the case though. So uh, don't feel bad for John Gruden. I don't feel bad for anyone who has this coming to them because I know all, none of us are perfect, but at the end of the day, none of us have, uh, not all of us, have these skeletons in our closet like this um not all of us are absolute monsters like this so um i'm not saying i've never made a mistake but at the same time i don't have any of these things lingering in my past so uh, I, I feel confident in saying as much yeah i mean if you put that in the email word that's who you are as a person like that just doesn't come out of a moment of frustration or a moment yeah. of bad judgment that speaks a lot towards your character Yep. And to your point about him being a fraud, the only Super Bowl he ever won was when he ditched the Raiders, knew exactly what their playbook was, and, and knew this, the play calling style of Cal, uh, what was it, Bo Callahan? Or Bill, what, no, Bo Callahan. Bill Callahan. Yeah, Bill Callahan, and basically knew what was happening before it was happening. So it's not even like Gruden is some mastermind. Um, you know, preparer of, of men, you know, like he just knew what was going to happen because of his past. So to me, it's one of the, it's one of the weirder titles because of how he flaked on the Raiders and joined a, a stacked Bucks team and, and sort of want to ring that way. So yeah, Gruden's a fraud and obviously a monster now too. And, you know, as far as our show concerned, we, you know, we don't have to worry about him uh, being on the Raiders anymore. And maybe uh, the Raiders can become full blown what they could be. Now I can go back to being um, autumn wind is a Raider, you know, being that legendary franchise they once were absolutely all right well this is the sad part of the show that's over with now matt let's talk some football uh i don't think we need to keep going i think 10 minutes is probably longer than i wanted to talk about it anyway but hey it's a big deal when a coach resigns in the middle of a season uh it's a way you have to talk about it when you and it wasn't before. urban meyer Yes, so if you made a bet that Urban Meyer was the first coach gone, I'm sorry. But if you bet on Urban Meyer being the first coach fired, you're still alive there because <laughs> Gruden was not fired. So uh, you still have a chance. All right, uh, we're going to do our primetime recap, and then we're going to transition into week six and do our recaps as we go there. We kind of like that format that we did last week. Um, so let's pick it up at Monday Night Football, the game in which that big announcement happened. And boy, oh boy, did the Colts. If you're a Colts fan, you're absolutely sick with how this game shook out. Uh, they were up 22-3, to three, I believe, uh, in the second half. They had a long defensive touchdown called back. Uh, Lamar fumbled the ball at the two-yard line. They scooped it up. Uh, Leonard... Uh, 
what, what's the tackling machine there? Darius Leonard lateraled it to the corner and he took off and ran all the way back for a touchdown only for there to be a flag. Huge momentum shift in this game. The Colts end up blowing this game, goes into overtime, and Lamar Jackson had the game of his life, comes down the field and wins the game on the touchdown to Marquise Brown, 31-25. to Colts now 1-4. Luckily for them, they're an incredibly winnable division. And the Ravens, 4-1 in a competitive division where every win matters. And now the Ravens have had some pretty good wins and won three in a row. Uh, Matt, watching this game, uh, I don't know what your thoughts were, but I couldn't help but to thank the Colts fans. <laughs> your, your defense drops like flies, and you really should have won this game going away. Yeah, I don't know how the Colts rebound from I, I know you say they're in a very winnable division, and they are. I mean, they're not out of it by any stretch. But Tractor Cito season seems to be in full gear here. And, and now you have to start worrying about making up some of these games. We know Jacksonville's terrible. We know Houston's terrible. Indy's not looking much better. And I, I'll give them this. It's hard to win when your entire secondary is out. But I don't know. When Lamar Jackson gets in one of these grooves, if there's a better player in the NFL, when he gets hot, it is just on a different level. He's unguardable. You can't do anything to stop him. Maybe with a team that had that has a better athletes on the defense, because I think that's what Indy really lacks. You know, I, I love the DeForest Buckner trade, but they really don't have that edge rusher coming off the edge, and they really don't have. And you know, w- with all due respect to Darius Leonard, um, he's a great player, but you just don't see that freak of nature on that defense. And I I think that's what prevents them defensively from being a top tier defensive team. They're good. They're really good. But they played really well in that first half. Absolutely. They did. You know, although Lamar Jackson throws a little better pass to Hollywood Brown in that first drive, they get a touchdown and then it's seven, seven, you know, you don't know how it goes, but still with that being said, the defense played well, Jonathan Taylor, Lights out, man. The fastest guy, the second fastest guy in the field that night, when he took that little dump pass and went 76 mm-hmm. yards, I was like, man, that dude's fast. And how come they haven't been using him like this, you know, for his entire career? I, I just think when, when you take a look at this game, it shows you who's more resilient, who, who's got that fighter spirit. Mm-hmm. And the Colts just keep on losing these types of games where the Ravens keep on winning these types of games. It's kind of the different personalities of the quarterbacks to me. Uh, Cuts played fine in this game, but to me, he's just kind of like a dud. Uh, is he going to inspire the troops and rally them to win this game? I don't know. Yeah. Lamar Jackson played an unbelievable football game here, and he has been unbelievable this year. Uh, and when you talk about the MVPs in the league, he's hardly mentioned, but he's making a case in his own right to be that. Yeah. The guy who has been criticized for his throwing ability is top five in the league in passing yards. In this game, he was 37 of 43 for 442 yards and four touchdowns. He was crazy good. He had 14 carries for 62 yards on top of that. He did the damage in the pocket, something that many people, myself included, doubted that he could actually do. So maybe we are seeing Lamar Jackson take the next step. And if he is doing that, this is a dangerous quarterback. This might be one of the best, most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. If he can actually put this together and consistently throw the ball from the pocket. And Marquise Brown made a lot of plays in this game. Mark Andrews is his primary target, his safety blanket. Obviously, he needs that. Uh, Their rookie wide receiver, uh, was it might be coming off the IR this week? So 
are coming into are coming into form here. And if this is, you know, peak Lamar Jackson, I mean, the Ravens are going to be relevant for the entire season and might even win the division. Yeah, I, I think if, if this is the Lamar Jackson that you're going to have to see every week, they're Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. The, the defense is good enough to keep you in the games. I, I don't think it's the vaunted Baltimore defenses that we've seen in the past. No. And, and the other um, unnoticeable thing, Randy, do you know who leads the NFL active players in blocked field goals? Is it the man who blocked a field goal in this game, Calais Campbell? <laughs> yes, it is. That was his <laughs> eighth blocked field goal. He's he, he saved the game for them in that moment. That was a huge momentum shift. Yeah, and then I think it was uh, before the end of the half, or, or before the end of the game, before the end of regulation, Rodrigo Blankenship does that snap hook. If you watch the tape, Calais mm-hmm. Campbell's in the same spot. So Blankenship purposely tried to hook it so Campbell wouldn't have blocked that one because if he would have kicked it like he did the other one, he was going to block that one too, which is just – I mean, Calais Campbell, it may not show up on the stat sheet, but he won that game for the Ravens. I mean, you're, you got the combined size and speed and aspect of Hank Campbell and the long arms to get to the right spot at the right time. I mean, he's the total package there, and it seems like he's perfected that. Um, but in this game, other than Lamar Jackson, you're looking at the receiving. Mark Andrews, 11 for 147 and two touchdowns, and Marquise Brown, 9 for 125 and two touchdowns. I mean, if these this three guys are going to make plays with the running back injuries this team has had, with Lamar still a threat to rush the ball, maybe we underestimated the Ravens coming into this year because this is, this is a team is hard to defend when they're clicking like this. Yeah. I think I had them as a wild card in the AFC playoffs. I'll have to go back and check the tapes. I, I, I liked what they had. And I, you know, I was down on Pittsburgh. I, I still mm-hmm. think Cincinnati has a ways to go. Um, you know, and obviously I think we both thought Cleveland was going to be the class of division and boy, wait till we get to that game. Mm-hmm. But um, overall a good win for Baltimore. Yeah, an exciting game. I I had the Colts um, getting a six and a half, so I'm happy that I still covered that. But I was definitely sweating in the second half there, for sure. Um, but if you're a Colts fan, you know, the, uh, the thing you have to look at when you're a Colts fan, you still have two games against the Texans. You still have two games against the Jaguars. Overall, pretty soft schedule. So you have to take advantage of those games and hope that the Titans' tough schedule coming up because they do have uh, games against the Bucks and the Bills and the Chiefs coming up uh, all in a row. This is your chance to get back into the division here if you're the Colts. Um, and, you know, I think they did some good things. I think the Ravens are a good team and to be competitive and really have a chance and probably should have won this game, I still think you should be optimistic about it as long as those defensive injuries aren't going to linger for too long. All right, Matt, let's move on now to the Sunday night football in a game that um, I predicted, uh, I believe I predicted correctly. Maybe I didn't actually go forth and say the Bills were going to win, but I know for sure you were not picking against Patrick Mahomes. I remember that pretty vividly from last week's show. And boy, oh boy, the Bills make a statement on Sunday night football and roll the Chiefs 34 to 20. And the Chiefs look like a big mess and the Bills look like a wagon. Yeah, I don't want to speak in hyperboles in you know this instance because the Chiefs still have a lot of talent. But man, it, it the Chiefs look like a wounded dog, Randy. It, it is not looking good for Kansas City right now because when you take a look at defensively, they cannot stop a nosebleed. Uh, everything you can beat them on the ground, you can beat them in the air, you can do whatever you want to do to them. At this point, they're not getting any pressure on the quarterback. The cornerbacks are terrible, just absolutely terrible. I can't stress this enough. Tyron Matthews had a great defensive season. 
him in a vacuum is really good. Him around that other defense, that, that defense can't even take advantage of his skill set because of how bad they are. Offensively, you know, we talked about it. You cannot play this type of football and expect to win. You cannot be sloppy with the football. And at some point, and, and I mentioned this in our group, I love how the physicality is coming back to football because you take a look at a lot of these top-tier teams, that they all share something in common, and that's physicality. You know, the Cardinals are physical on defense at the point of attack, and they do try to run the football. It's a little more physical, but they still got those playmakers. Take a look at the Rams, physical up front, that they are going to try to run the football on you. Um, you know, we all know the Bills are very physical with a really talented quarterback that can use his legs. The Chiefs don't have anything to hang their hat on right now. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be out for multiple weeks because of his MCL strain. I, I The Chiefs are in trouble. And in this division, you can't be in trouble. Bills are going to win the AFC East. You know, just go ahead and mark that down. Bills are in the playoffs. They're not missing they it. <laughs> yeah. Division's over. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's done. It's gone. You know, <laughs> etch it in stone. But I think when you look at the Chiefs, playoff chances, they are fading really fast. And Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and that offensive line need to get, a, get into a room together and find out how you can establish a run game and start mm-hmm. imposing your will on these defenses. Because if they don't, they're done. Correction, it's 38 to 20, Bills. I, I misspoke on the score earlier, so I apologize about that. Um, you know, you're a tape guy, Matt. You understand football better than most people that I know. And and what I noticed, and because I wanted to watch this game back and see maybe what I didn't realize on Sunday night. Because I watch those games, I'm tired. I fall asleep a couple times, you know. So there was a delay in this game. I fell asleep during that as well. Um, I don't know what the percentage is but the chiefs face more cover two than any team in the league because they can't run the ball. And it's clearly having an impact on Patrick Mahomes. who threw two more interceptions in this game. The chiefs had four turnovers in total. Uh, obviously one of those interceptions bounced off Tyreek Hill's hands. Nothing you can really do about that. But to me, the best way to get rid of cover two, Matt, is to run the ball. You just said that. I mean, that's, that's the most balanced way is you have to get them the threat that you're going to run the ball. You have to get some linebackers up. You have to make them stack the box uh, and potentially open it up downfield. So for in layman's terms, Matt, can you explain to the audience what cover two is and why it's affecting the Chiefs so much at this time? Yeah, essentially cover two is you're going to drop anywhere between six and seven defensive players. So sometimes you'll only rush four. And the reason why you drop it, you have two safeties deep that cut the field in half. So that it takes away the deep throw. At least it should, unless there's a bro- broken assignment on it. And then you have your two corners playing the flats, which is the sidelines about anywhere between five and ten yards deep. And then you have your linebackers in a shell and maybe a nickel back and a dime back where they basically cover that middle of the field. So it takes away Kelsey in the middle. It'll take away any crossing routes. It's designed to take those things away. And really it's testing your off. It's testing the opposing team's offense. Are you patient enough where you can do a methodical drive and drive it down the field? And what we see from the Chiefs is Patrick Mahomes is trying to fit it into these windows that get taken away by the cover two defense because there's a guy responsible for every zone. And they know the reason why they can drop six or drop seven into coverage because the Chiefs are not a threat to run the football. If you're a football historian, um, and this isn't, you know, didn't happen too long ago, but uh, Super Bowl 25. 
uh, is the most famous cover two game I could ever think of. Bill Belichick is defensive coordinator for the Giants. The Bills have a high-powered West Coast offense with, uh, with Jim Kelly. And basically what Belichick said is, I'm going to make you run the ball with Thurman Thomas the entire time. I'm going to take the quarterback and all your offensive weapons out of it. And they ran the ball well, but ultimately it took away their biggest threats and limited them what they could do offensively. To me, the Chiefs are getting in their own way here. You have to run the ball to beat this cover two. Once you establish the run and become a real threat with that, teams will stop playing cover two on you. Because right now your offensive weapons are pretty thin after Hill and Kelsey. You need to you, Hardman and Robinson and um, Pringle and all these other guys aren't good enough to make get open on their own. You well, need those other guys to draw so much attention to the point where they're open. And right now with the zone, it's not happening. Yeah, and, and even with, if they get Josh Gordon back, I mean, it's it's not going to prevent the issue with this football team. The issue is still the issue, and it's on two fronts: on the offensive line and the defensive line. Both yep. of those are getting dominated against the chiefs the chiefs cannot stop anybody on defense running the football you saw that with buffalo buffalo just did whatever the hell they wanted offensively Mm -hmm. they have a hard enough time protecting mahomes let alone generating any push to get a run game going you know josh gordon you know great second chances but until they decide that they're going to be a more physical football team this team and i'm sorry you, you you don't have to look far Go, go to Los Angeles Chargers and listen to what Brandon Staley said. And if you have not heard it, I implore you to go listen to it because that is what football is all about. Yep. Now, you know my stance on running backs. Overall, I don't think they matter as much. But my uh, my <laughs> my support of running the football has never wavered. I, I That is always going to matter in the NFL, You're establishing the run, having a balanced attack, and sort of setting the tone, and that's what really Staley said. There's a physicality of running the football that you need to establish when you're an NFL team. So to me, that still is important. Now, I do think Clyde Edwards-Alaire stinks. <laughs> I think he's one of the, a terrible first-round running back. Um, I don't think he's very good. So I wouldn't be shocked if the philosophy changes a little bit here with Daryl Williams, who's a little bit more physical of a runner, more reliable guy they can give the ball to at the goal line. Um, Because right now at the goal line, their only options are fade routes, uh, homes on on sneaks or on rollouts, and hopefully he finds Kelsey uh, in a little curl route. Um, They need to uh, change their philosophy there. And I think Williams is a guy that could help them do that more. And I think their offensive line struggled, but I do think they're good enough to do that. Um, I think right now it's philosophical and they need to fix it. Um, This is now two home losses for the Chiefs, and they are in last place in the AFC West right now, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, things have to change quickly in Kansas City. I don't want to talk about this game, Matt, without talking about the other side now, because this was a rematch of the AFC title game, and the Bills clearly still had that on their mind. They were still mad, and hey, look, you lost that game. You can be mad about it all you want, but there was no fix. You kind of got dominated in that game, but this is what you do when you get dominated. You use it as motivation, you come back, and you say, not again, not happening this time, and they came out, and they Gave it right back to the Chiefs. Josh Allen, 15 to 26, 315 yards, three touchdowns. Played played pretty well in this game. He had a, he had a bad pick that got you know he got bailed out on uh, on a call, but that's okay. Um, both quarterbacks, by the way, led their teams in rushing in this game. Uh, Allen and Mahomes. So I don't think the Bills are perfect in that aspect, but the defense for the Bills 
is so much better now. And it is part of it due to the, the emergence of Trey Edmund, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who's a young linebacker they took a couple years ago. Jordan Poyer's really good. The rookie Gregory Russo had a sack in this game. They're getting contributions from all over the place on this defense, and they are setting the tone and making it easy on the offense. Matt, when you look at the Bills in this game, what are some of your takeaways? Because to me, I think the defense is the biggest one. They have eight defensive linemen that could start for any team in the league. I mean, it is they, – they just throw guys at you in waves, and they're all impressive. Ed Oliver, like you said, Gregory Rousseau, just, just so many guys out there that they are able to just generate pressure. And then, you know, I, I like the linebackers, not in love with them. I, I like their secondary a lot. I think their secondary is really good. And just mostly the physicality of that defense, is, it's definitely sending a message. I do want to see the Bills to be able to run the football more because yep. there's going to be some teams that they're going to face. Cleveland, excuse me, Baltimore and the Chargers who make it a point to keep your defense on the field. Can the Bills sustain, you know, a long, you know, being on the field for a long period of time defensively and not get tired? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Good win. This was an excellent win for the Bills. If you're a Bills fan, you should be excited. And you should look at yourselves as one of the favorites in the AFC. But you, if, if you want to cement that, you need to start running the football a lot more. Yeah, if you look at look ahead at the Bills' schedule, look, they're going to run away with this division. And they might have the number one seed in the AFC. And if the playoffs go through Buffalo – um, that's bad news for the rest of the conference. So <laughs> I think if you're any team in the AFC, you're rooting for the Chargers or the Chiefs to get things right, or even the Ravens to maybe somehow get the top seed. Like you don't want to go to Buffalo no. in January and in February. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> the last thing you want is that lake effect and that wind. Um, because guess what? The Bills don't like it either, but they're more accustomed to deal with it than you are, especially if you're a team on the West Coast. So um the Bills could be the number one seed here come uh come January, Matt. Yeah, they could be. And like you said, if you're a team like the Chargers, you don't want to go play there. But they got the style that could do it. They could go there and play well because they believe in that physicality and run the football. Cleveland can go there and do it. Baltimore probably could as well. But you take a look at a team like Kansas City, I, I don't know if they're going to be successful when it gets colder. If, if the Bills are hosting an AFC title game, I might need to make a trek out to uh, Western New York here and uh, put somebody through a table or something. That sounds <laughs> fun. Uh, but I can only imagine the excitement for Bills fans if they, they're hosting that game, regardless of uh, who it's against. But maybe if it if it's the Super Bowl and the Bills are like, oh, finally made a Super Bowl for the first time in 30 years, and then it's Tom Brady waiting for them, that's, you know, they deserve that. You know, they all, they all <laughs> that, 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 that's the hand you're dealt here. And you, you deserve that. Uh, <laughs> uh, dar hello, darkness, my old friend. It's going to be the, the situation there. All right, the last primetime game was Thursday Night Football nearly a week ago now. Um, probably forgot this game even happened, but a huge storyline coming out of this game. Um, the Rams beating the Seahawks 26 to 20, uh, 26 to 17, I should say. And you look at the box score and you look at the pass attempts by the Seattle quarterbacks, and Geno Smith was 10 of 17, but you're like, why the hell did Geno Smith even play in this game? Russell Wilson has a severe uh, finger issue. Uh, is it a ligament damage? Uh, I believe the only thing that they said could fix it was a splint for six weeks and uh, you can't throw a football with a splint um and the crazy thing is they haven't even ruled him out <laughs> this yeah. week that, they, no. that he's 
No, he, he's on IR now. They put him on IR? Okay. Yeah, I, he, last I knew that they were trying to figure out a way where he could still play. So that's it then. Russell Wilson is finally going to miss a game in his career. Yeah, he uh, had to get okay. surgery on it. And the surgery was more complicated than what they initially thought it was going to okay. be. I believe the timetable is six to eight weeks. Well, the Seahawks season is over, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Just after that news, I I, I, I totally missed that. So, uh, yeah, the Geno Smith led Seahawks uh, opens up a whole new avenue for us in survivor pools. Um, the Seahawks <laughs> are really going to show their true colors here. Um, the, this is a good win for the Rams, a division game. Look, they took care of their business. I don't really know what else too much to say about it. Uh, Stafford threw a bad pick, but other than that, he looked fine. Um, the most frustrating part of this game is that I had Robert Woods in fantasy in one league, and I was very frustrated with him through the first four weeks, so I put him on my bench, and he has 12 for 150 in this game. <laughs> uh, so that's fun, too. Um, look, the Rams, when you're in your perennial NFC favorite, uh, you know, you're four and one, you took care of business against a division rival. This is how you, you get the job done here. Um, but on the Seahawks side of this, Matt, this is done. I, they're going to they're gonna fall off really quick, and we might be looking at the Jets having two top ten picks now. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can spin this. I mean, when Wilson comes back, maybe you can win a couple of games. Um, but with him being out six to eight weeks, I mean, let's just say it's on the eight-week trend. I mean – with Gino as your quarterback, I don't know how many wins you see in that stretch because I think one of those weeks is a bye week. But mm-hmm. Jesus, criminy, you know, you got the Cardinals twice coming up. Um, the Packers, I, I don't – well, they, you know, they already played the Vikings. But, um, yeah, just I, – I don't know. You know, even with Russell Wilson, they were struggling. So you take a look at this injury and how this team's constructed, much like – you know, Kansas City, they depend on a lot of Russell Wilson's abilities to win them football games, and now they don't have it. And with Geno Smith at quarterback, we, we've seen the Geno Smith at quarterback again. You know, I, I thought it was great for the guy to come in, lead a touchdown drive on his first possession, just marched him right down the field. And then with the game on the line, mm-hmm. all the pressure on, he throws to an area where there is not one Seahawks receiver and nope. three Rams. There were three Rams in the area where he threw the football and it got picked off. And I was like, okay, that's the Geno Smith I remember. That was one of the dumber plays, too, I think I've ever seen. I don't really know exactly what he was looking at there. And Geno has this. It's not quite the Manning face, but he just has like a dumb look on his face every time he makes a mistake. Like, it's almost like Brucey uh, in the longest yard type face yeah. where, like, you didn't mean to do it. <laughs> or, <laughs> I shouldn't have eaten that popcorn kind of thing. Uh, and Gino's face is just very much one that annoys me, especially given his Giants history. So um, Seattle going to be without their MVP and their franchise quarterback for the first time since he started there. He had the sixth longest active uh, or sixth longest consecutive start streak ever. Uh, that's pretty impressive for a guy who's pretty mobile and a guy who runs around a ton. Um, so that sucks to see that come to an end for Russ. Um, and they're going to roll out Gino apparently. And the guy they brought in to be his backup to work out to be his backup was Blake Bortles. <laughs> so uh, they're committed to Gino here. I thought for sure this was Cam's opening to get an opportunity, but I think, you know, the league is just kind of moving on from Cam and just staying away at this point, because I felt like this would have been a good chance. But look, I, I think we all know the Seahawks roster was not the strongest roster in the league and they were sort of being held together by 
Russell Wilson. They were only going to go as far as Russell Wilson could take them. And now the wheels are going to completely come off here. Uh, and I wonder what the future of Pete Carroll is now too, because if this come, if this gets really ugly, really fast, which it easily could, um, I wonder if Pete Carroll is still going to be around for, for much, too much longer. USC jobs open. You could have a homecoming. Look at that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause they love him there. Oh yeah, clearly. Uh, all right. Well, that's the prime time. We're going to transition into a week uh, six preview slash we're going to talk about how the teams did in the previous week. Um, and, and I think that's the best way for us to do this and not spend three hours on each show. Uh, so we're going to start off with Thursday night football tomorrow. Normally we do this on Tuesday, but today's Wednesday. Um, and it's an interesting matchup. I actually think it should be a pretty good game, but it's the Bucks traveling to Philly to play the Eagles, who are also coming off of a win. The Bucks coming off of a comfortable win of their own uh, against the Dolphins uh, in the Battle of Florida. And then the Eagles um, come back on the Panthers. That game was ugly. Uh, Sam Darnold threw three picks in that game. Jalen Hurts, well, and this is crazy thing about Jalen Hurts, um, he played one of the worst games I think I've seen from a quarterback in a long time. And yet he still ended up with 25 fantasy points because of his ability to rush. And he still made plays at the end of this game. Um, so the Eagles showed a little bit of resiliency for, to me in that game. Uh, it, I think the Darnold aspect helped a ton, but if you're two and three now, and you're right into that, that second place spot in the NFC East uh, and in Philly on Thursday night, might not be, it might not be too cold. It's still not the not that cold in the Northeast right now. Um, so it, it, you still have the home field advantage. Maybe you get this Brady uh, in Chicago aspect from last year. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here. Um, maybe, the Bucks, maybe the Bucks just roll them. I, I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen anyway. But uh, overall, I kind of like this matchup here for uh, Thursday Night Football. Yeah, I, I think it has the potential to be entertaining. I don't yeah. know if it will be because I, I like the Bucks a lot here. I think they do a lot of things that present a lot of problems defensively for the Eagles. So Jalen Hurts is going to have to throw the football to be successful against this Tampa Bay defense. The Tampa Bay defense currently shuts down the running game of everyone they play. You just, you don't have success running against them. So can Jalen Hurts do enough in the passing game to beat them? And I don't know. I, I find it hard pressed if they're going to get in a shootout for them to be able to keep track with Brady. And, you know, for all the accolades that we gave Brian Flores in Miami and everything, we saw Brady go in there and just completely annihilate them. Yeah. Um, so, and that's without Gronk as well. So one of their bigger weapons. I, I, I'm going Tampa here, Randy. I just think it's just too big of a stretch. E even with Sam Darnold. I mean, to Sam Darnold through what, three picks? Uh, Three brutal interception, brutal yeah. picks. Yeah, it, Tom Brady's not going to do that. He, he's not no. going to give you those gifts. So you know, give me the Bucks thirty-one to the Eagles seventeen. Yeah, it's uh, Eagles plus six and a half. Uh, a home dog. I normally would pick the home dog here, but I do think the Bucks are just on another level here. Uh, I do like the Bucks to win and cover. Uh, so give me the Bucks 31 to the Eagles uh, 23. I think Hertz maybe makes it interesting late, but ultimately it's uh, not enough. All right, you ready to go across the pond again, Matt Bushnell? London is back. Uh, it's almost like we couldn't get enough last week, and those fans, those poor fans, had to watch the Jets and the Falcons. But they get another just brutal matchup, and this time they welcome in the state of Florida and not the good team. <laughs> it's the Dolphins at the Jags, London version. Uh, these, this is a 1-4 team against an 0-5 team. 
boy, oh boy, why did why did the UK love NFL football so much when this is the kind <laughs> of crap we send over there? <laughs> Um, th- this does happen that the return of Tua Tagovailoa, so a uh, little bit of a juice maybe for for the Dolphins and the Jags. I thought actually played okay last week uh, against the Titans, and I thought they had a real chance to come back and potentially win that game. Um, but I, I think you know you said a bold take you're going to have later in the show. I think this is my bold take. I think there's going to be one less winless team in the NFL after this game. I think the London Jaguars are going to come out and win this game over the Dolphins. Uh, I think the Dolphins are in a bad spot. They just got killed. Tua is the game changer. Uh, I know that he's probably an upgrade from Jacoby Brissett, but I don't think it's enough. And the Dolphins defense is not as good as I expected it to be. I expect uh, maybe Urban Meyer to get his guys going and rewards to get on the same page and steal one uh, and get on the board here across the pond. Matt, what do you think of this battle of Florida in the UK? Well, my guy Phil agrees with you that the Jags are going to get their first win, but not so fast, my friends. <laughs> okay, Lee Corso. <laughs> got some bad news for you guys. The Dolphins with Brian Flores and the return of Tua. And I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, Tagovailoa. <laughs> well, but yes, the Dolphins win here. I think they win rather easily. This is the week that I had marked in red that this will be Urban Meyer's last game as the Jaguars head coach. I think it's going to get bad. I think Shad Khan is going to be really frustrated that they're going to get embarrassed in his mm. place where he wants to have a football team in London. So give me the Dolphins 20 to the Jaguars 6. I think that's the part I'm nervous about the most is just Flores being such a better coach than <laughs> Urban Meyer is. <laughs> so despite my liking of the Jags and their talent level over the <laughs> over the Dolphins, there's this glaring Urban Meyer thinks every team he plays is Alabama and just gets PTSD of coaching <laughs> in the college football playoffs again. Um, all right, and pick them. The you know the Jags are favored by three and a, are, are are getting three and a half. I should say. Um, I like that. I like them to win this game. I think it'll be ugly because all these London games are just ugly messes of games. Um, I think the Jags win 23 to 20 on a late field goal. Uh, and I, I love what London does. They get they get so animated about the kicks. They don't care about anything else, but when they yes. kick the ball, they go nuts. <laughs> they, they kick it out of the end zone. It's a touchback and they cheer. Like, yeah, good job kicking the ball far. Like, <laughs> it's, such a, it's just funny. I don't know. It's just a different kind of fan, but uh, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad to wake up again and have football on TV Sunday morning. Uh, all right. Let's go to the early slate of games. This is the one o'clock games in the East Coast. And I'm going to get this one right out of the way early. Uh, I didn't want to, I want to talk about the Giants, but here we are. Uh, it's the Rams traveling to New Jersey to play at MetLife Stadium. And uh, we talked about the Rams already, so I don't need to touch on that anymore. The Giants played a brutal game uh, against the Cowboys for a number of different reasons. Number one, they lost 44-20 to 20, uh, against the hated rivals, so that's not ideal. In the process, uh, Daniel Jones got knocked out of the game with a concussion. Saquon Barkley stepped on a defender's foot and rolled his ankle, and how <laughs> has a low ankle sprain and is going to be out, I believe, four to six weeks. Uh, Kenny Galladay left this game with a knee sprain. He's expected to miss a couple weeks as well. Kadarius Toney, the bright spot for the Giants in this game, had 10 catches for 176 yards and got ejected because he punched a guy's helmet like an idiot. So that's fun. Um, the Giants completely embarrassed themselves on national television. You were right to criticize the decision to put them on uh, as the America's Game of the Week. So congratulations on that. Um, the Giants are an absolute dumpster fire of an organization 
organization. I've been saying this for years. I know, oh, uh, Randy, you're too negative about the Giants. No, they have shown you this is who they are. I know injuries happen, but they've happened every single year. And Dave Gettleman has not put together a roster that can withstand those type of injuries. So there's a potential on Sunday that Aaron Donald is coming at Mike Lennon uh, and Devontae Booker uh, with their number one receiver being Kadarius Tony and their number two receiver being Evan Ingram. So this is going to get ugly. This game is survivor pick all over it. The Rams are going to absolutely destroy the Giants in this game. Um, today came out, Joe Judge says that uh, Daniel Jones is on track to play. So he's in concussion protocol at the moment. So we probably won't get Mike Lennon. Um, but that doesn't change my mind here. My, uh, Daniel Jones is not beating the Rams. Daniel Jones splits at home also way worse than they are on the road. I don't understand what the deal is with that. Uh, but nonetheless, I think the Rams absolutely roll the Giants here. Plus, they have 10 days to prepare, so that helps too. Matt, uh, you look at this matchup, and I assume you don't feel any differently. No, I, I don't. <laughs> I think the Giants are one of the, if not the worst team, one of the worst teams in the NFL. I can't, you know, usually I, I take a look at teams this way, Randy, if it's close. You know, I, I want to see who's got the best player on the field. I think you could name about seven to eight Rams before you would even think about mentioning a giant. Yep. And it might be more than that. It might be 11 deep for the Rams that you would take before any giant player. Yep. And now you have Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, you know, and those guys. Jalen Ramsey. Uh... Yeah, I mean it's a lot. Defensively, they're they're really good, you know, and they don't make careless mistakes very often. Offensively, they're going to come at you with a running game, a power running game. They're not afraid to run the football, and they're going to use a lot of play action. And Matthew Stafford has a laser arm. The only way the Rams don't get to forty points is if there's some inclement weather that is just preventing the ball from flying in the air. Because I'm going Rams forty-one to the Giants seventeen. I just I and, and seventeen is generous in my book. Let's see the weather around that area for Sunday. It looks uh, sunny and sixty-three. So yeah, they should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a cold day in Los Angeles, but uh, overall, it's a fine day in the Meadowlands. So, uh, look, I, just, I think this game's going to get uh, over early here. Um, I have them in Survivor. I already made my pick. It's only Wednesday, but I already submitted <laughs> it. I'm going with the Rams here. Uh, I do not think the Giants are going to be even competitive. And this is an indictment on Dave Gettleman. I know I say it every week, but he, when he got the job, he said he needed to run the ball and stop the run. Not only do the Giants can't run the ball because they have a terrible offensive line, they cannot stop the run. The Cowboys ran for over 200 yards against them. Like Zeke and Tony Pollard did everything they wanted against them. And it wasn't even close. Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, just not as good as everyone wants them to be. And it's frustrating. So it wouldn't shock me if uh, um, the, the two running backs, Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson, have nice days here for the Rams. I know I'm starting Sony Michelle. The only way the Rams don't score 48, my, my point is I just think the Rams might just run the ball down the Giants' throats and just say, we're going to play time of possession, get out of here with a win, not show too many things, and just dominate you by coasting because that's what we're good enough to do. Um, I like the Rams here, 35 to the Giants, 14. Uh, and that 14 is honestly probably garbage time. So, uh, all right, moving on. Thankfully, get that game out of my life. Uh, the next game is a game that you should care a ton about because it uh, looks like our live stream may have been interrupted here too, Matt. So um, maybe we can get back on the air there. Um, yeah, I'm showing we're still live. 
All right. So maybe it's just on my end. Cool. All right. Um, so moving on to the Lions team in your division, Matt, um, taking on the Bengals, welcoming them, welcoming them into town. The Bengals coming off of a brutal loss uh, to the Packers in a game that they absolutely should have won. Evan McPherson missed three field goals at the end of the fourth quarter and overtime uh, when the game was tied at 22. And then Mason Crosby also missed three field goals, uh, could have won the game for the Packers and eventually hitting the game-winning field goal in overtime. So the Bengals are three and two. Uh, easily could be um, three and well, four and one, um, but they're not. Um, so I like them a ton in this game against the Lions, who also had a brutal loss. The Lions come down to the field at the end of the game against the Vikings, take the lead on a two point conversion. Uh, this I love that about uh, the, the Dan Campbell experience is that he didn't go down there and he didn't want to tie the game. He went down there to win the game. I love that aspect of it. You're already winless, nothing to lose. Um, but then they give up a kick return. Um, they get in the Vikings get in the field goal range, and Greg Joseph nailed the field goal as time expires to rip the hearts out of Lions fans once again. Um, so that, that's just absolutely brutal here. Um, I like the Bengals in this spot. I think the Bengals are actually sneaky, frisky. I, I know we criticize the Jamar Chase pick, but he looks like an, a legit elite wide receiver in this league. Joe Burrow left this game with a throat laceration or a throat contusion or something like that. He went to the hospital. He was cleared. He's fine. Um, the Bengals uh, give me Joe Burrow against the Lions defense here, and I, I think they don't. I don't think it's easy, but I do think they handle their business on the road. You know, I, I, I just get some feelings sometimes about games that you know everyone thinks should go one way, but they go the other way. I just I can't go against the Bengals. I think Jamar Chase can make so many plays, mm-hmm. but the scary part is Joe Burrow takes way too many chances with his yeah. health, and, and that's always scary. And that's what can always flip these types of games. I, I never want to pick a game based on who I think will get injured, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change it for this game. I think the Bengals are a better team. I think the Bengals are on the upswing. So I'm going to take the Bengals. I think it's going to be a largely close game. Um, It should be entertaining. So give me the Bengals 27 to the Lions 23. Your point about Burrow putting his life at risk a lot. Uh, Rogers after the game came out and he said that he told Burrow that he needs to slide more uh, and that he's too good and too talented to not uh, put his health first. I think that's cool of Rogers to sort of be looking out for him, but it's also common sense. Uh, I don't think Rogers is breaking down any sort of uh, rocket science to him here. Here, like uh, you, you know, you already tore your ACL up last year, and if you want to last in this league, you have to take care of yourself. And as a quarterback, the easiest thing to do there is to slide. Um, the Lions, I, I don't know what it is about Dan Campbell. I, I kind of thought he was too gimmicky and too old school, but uh, he came out after the game and was crying and uh, saying how hard his guys fought for a win. I don't know if I like that or not, um, but clearly his guys fight for him. I think that's, you know, cool. I, I Obviously, I think whatever he's doing works in that aspect of it. Um, the Lions are clearly rebuilding, but they're always good enough to linger. Um I don't think they're, you know, capable of winning too many games in this game. They're they're three and a half point dogs at home. I do like the Bengals to win this game, probably by a touchdown. Uh, I'll say since he um, 29 to the Lions 22. Um, Okay, let's move on. 
Now we have a AFC South contest. Uh, we already talked about the Colts, but this is now we have the Texans going to Indianapolis. Um, the Texans, I got to say, Matt, gave me a heart attack last <laughs> week. Um, I had the Patriots in Survivor, and boy, oh boy, did Davis Mills look like the second coming of John Elway. Uh, very frustrating, but luckily I, I survived in advance. That's the name of the game. That's all that matters. But the Texans are frisky, whether it is Tyrod Taylor or Davis Mills. To me, the Colts need this game to to continue their season if they want any hope to maybe back into the second wild card and that maybe that's lost cause at this point anyway maybe it's just to try to win the division uh you're one in five uh one in four as the Colts you can't be one in five uh losing to the Texans so the Colts I think are in full desperation mode and have no choice but to win this game yeah I mean it's this is their season every game from here on out is their season you know mm-hmm. they lose one here they lose one there you don't have too many more strikes. You can't start the season one and four to me. The Colts are going to win this game because they have to that desperation is that they have the better roster. Yep. Um, the, the coaching, I kind of like David Culley actually as a coach, he oh. does make some mistakes that I don't really like, but I, I don't think overall what he's doing is a bad job. I, I think the Texans are a very interesting team and I think they can compete. But I do like the Colts in a rather ugly game. I think it's going to be 20 to 17 Colts. Yeah, the Colts are favored by nine and a half. I think that's too steep for me. I think Vegas time and time and again has disrespected the Texans, and they've covered a ton uh, except for that Bills game. I feel like they've been getting competitive in most of these. Uh, I do like the Colts. I think they get the win uh, 26 to 20 in this game. And, you know, the Colts fans could say, what if they could have held on in that Ravens game? Um, But all right, moving on. uh, And another potential must win. And if you ask me, I think it absolutely is a must win for the Kansas City Chiefs who travel to Landover, Maryland to play the Washington football team. Um, I, I, you know, I think we said this a couple of weeks ago about the Eagles game, that that was a get right game for the Chiefs. They really needed to establish who they were, maybe get their identity set uh, and get right. Um, to me, this has to happen again. It's sort of a reset. You played a wagon in the Bills and now you're playing a team, literally just the team, uh, who <laughs> is in a bit of a weird spot because their defense isn't as good as everyone thought. The backup quarterback is uh, kind of exciting, a little fearless, but ultimately makes a bunch of mistakes. Um, so I think that the Chiefs are in play here to win this game handily, um, but they I feel like this is a game that they should reevaluate their philosophy and maybe establish the run more than they should have. And I said that earlier about Darrell Williams. I expect him to have a big game here, and I expect the Chiefs to get back on their feet to 500 against the Washington football team. Man, I, I hate picking against the Chiefs. I really do. And I, I think we've agreed for the most part on, on almost all our games. So give me the Washington football club here. Wow. Um, I, I, I don't Taylor want Heineke going to beat, beat Kansas City? I, I think so, because with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick, I, I have a feeling that Washington's already going to make that really physical presence felt for Kansas city. And I don't think Kansas city is able to do the same. And I, I, I just, I have a feeling about this game where, you know, a turnover here or there, it's going to hurt Kansas city. I, I don't think this gets out of your system. This is not a well-built football team. Uh, you know, you take a look at the season, they signed a bunch of offensive linemen for a lot of money and they don't have a, a power running back. They don't have a good defensive line. And, I mean, somebody please tell me what the hell happened to Chris Jones. 
Like, yeah. he, just a non-factor. So g- give me Washington 21 to the Chiefs 20. I cannot believe you just said that. Um, I should mention Washington lost uh, 33 to 22 weird score to the New Orleans Saints last week. And uh, both of us got that game wrong. We, we liked Washington in that spot. Um, to me, they're just too inconsistent. Um, I, the, Logan Thomas got put on IR, so that hurts. Um, Ricky Seals-Jones has made some plays for them, so they like that. Uh, I like the running back duo. Terry McLaurin has been playing lights out all year. He's making the case to be uh, a top five wide receiver this year in his own right. But to me, at some point, um, the cream rises to the top here. And if Kelsey plays and Hill plays, I think losing CEH could be um, sort of a Ewing theory aspect. And I'm not saying Clyde Edwards-Alaire matters as much as Patrick Ewing ever did, but maybe they just play better without Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Maybe instead of trying to force feed him to get, get him the ball, build his confidence, they just do what they're good at. Um, I think even though their defense isn't totally strong, maybe Heineke makes one too many mistakes. They get a, a turnover that could build some confidence as well. Um, I, you know, the, Washington's a six and a half point dog at home in this game. And I actually like the chiefs to cover here and I I might be in the minority there, but I do think the chiefs eventually have to put it together and establish themselves as one of the best teams in the AFC. And if they don't win this game, they're not, and it's just going to fall apart. And it's kind of crazy that we're even at this point with Kansas city. Um, So I believe in the chiefs, believe in Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes. I think they get the job done here. I like them 31 to 21 over the Washington football team. Um, all right, moving on now to uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who, by the skin of their teeth, uh, <laughs> beat the Detroit Lions, as we just talked about. You know, Greg Joseph, game-winning field goal, time expired over the Lions. Uh, that was a must-win game for them, or their season was getting old uh, over quickly. Um, the Vikings in an alternate universe also have a, you know only just one loss, um, but that's besides the point. They're traveling to Carolina to play the Panthers, and this is an interesting matchup because now the Panthers, after starting 3-0, uh, have two consecutive losses, both to NFC East teams. And maybe we jumped the gun on Sam Darnold in, in Carolina. Maybe I jumped the gun on Carol, uh, Sam Darnold in Carolina. Um, he has shown he has been much better already. I don't think that's even uh, debatable. But at the same time, he has shown the propensity to make critical mistakes. He threw three absolutely brutal interceptions against the Eagles that kept them in that game and ultimately helped them win that game. Um, so I don't know what to make of this game. The Vikings are super inconsistent. And now the Panthers, uh, I like their defense and I, I I like their offense and Christian McCaffrey should be coming back here, but I don't trust the quarterback. So make sense of this matchup for me, Matt. Kirk Cousins record against above 500 teams is well, 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 well below 500. Okay. And I don't see like, take, t- take a look at the Vikings team. All right. So they beat themselves against Cincinnati. Like they had no desire to win that game. They blow the game against Carolina. They barely get out of Detroit. Arizona. I mean. Yeah, Arizona. I'm sorry. They barely get a win in, against Detroit at home. At home. To, to me, this Vikings team has been fraudulent. And, I, and I've been pounding this desk for a long time about this Vikings team. And every year I have to hear about, oh, the Vikings are the second best team in the NFC North. Oh, the Vikings have a chance to make a run this year. The Vikings, the Vikings, the Vikings. I've seen this so many times and I, and Viking fans hate me and I'm sorry, Viking fans, your team's a fraud, whether sorry, it's Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Lucas. I do apologize. Great guy. I love Lucas, mm-hmm. but 
you know, the coach needs to go. I love Mike Zimmer, but sometimes your message just wears thin. Kirk Cousins is never going to lead them to a division championship. Well, maybe one, but um, he, no, they're Rodgers, Ron. Yeah, I mean, they're never going to go to a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as their quarterback. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, I like the talent around Carolina better. I think Carolina's got more heart. I think they're more feisty. I don't think they're going to make the same mistakes two weeks in a row. And, and the Vikings seem to me that they are a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. So give me the Panthers, Randy. I'm going to take the Panthers 28 to the Vikings 18. You convinced me. I'm I'm disappointed in the Vikings' performance against the Lions. I expected more out of Cousins and Jefferson and Thielen. I know Cook was out, but Madison comes in, and Madison's a good player. He makes plays. Uh, he had a brutal fumble in that game, too, which obviously didn't help. But he came in, and honestly, every time he fills in for Cook, I'm like, why did they pay Cook a billion dollars? I mean, Madison's not that much different. Um, but, you know, my stance on running backs. Anyway, uh, so I, I Carolina going to get a boost with CMC back this week, it looks like. I think he's trending that direction so that you like that aspect as well uh dj Moore had a down week last week but i expect him to have a bounce back week two i don't know what the status of stefan gilmore is but i like the carolina moxie i like that they went out and got gilmore i like that they traded uh for a first round corner last year and when they, their, their first round corner this year went down like they are going for it and i think rule has his guys playing well i think as long as darnold could hone in the mistakes which i'm like i said not 100 confident that can happen um i don't know i i think the panthers are going to be frisky all year and I think they're good enough to beat this Vikings team uh the Panthers are uh favored by a point and a half I think they win and they cover I like Carolina 24 uh to 20 over the Vikings in this game it should be a good one I, I like this matchup but it's going to be kind of chaos with the two guys I wouldn't shock you the both quarterbacks throw a bunch of picks in this game uh <laughs> all right uh moving on to one of the matchups of the week I love this matchup and it's the Chargers traveling to the East Coast to play the Baltimore Ravens. We talked about the Ravens already in our Monday Night Football recap, but the Chargers, Matt, they might have played the game of the year uh, last week and their win over the Browns. And I got to say, um, I, I unfortunately, every time I change off red zone and watch the Giants, this sort of thing happens because I didn't get to watch a ton of this game live. But my God, uh, the Chargers won 47 to 42, and Herbert had almost 400 yards passing and a bunch of touchdowns. Eckler had three touchdowns. Look, the, the moxie of Staley and the rest of this organization, they are not your Philip Rivers Chargers of the past. They are a new team that is not afraid to win games. And that's what I absolutely love about them. The coach coaches to win and the team plays to win. They don't, they, don't, they don't dwell on their mistakes. They come out and they just make plays and they can adapt to any sort of game. Like they, they play that defensive game against the Cowboys and the Washington football team. And then this game is a shootout against the Browns uh, and they somehow pull away 47 to 42. So the Chargers to me almost took like took over for the Chiefs and sort of like have this chameleon aspect where they could play your style of football any given week. So I love that aspect of it as well. And then them, the only aspect I don't like is that when a team from the West Coast travels to the East Coast. So and it's an early game. This is a 10 o'clock start time for a team on the West Coast. That's the aspect of it I dislike the most. But overall, this is a fantastic game, a fantastic matchup in a game that I always think about um, at that wild card game with Lamar Jackson and Philip Rivers where Lamar had those like six fumbles um, yeah. his, his rookie year a couple of years ago. So for some reason, this matchup always brings that out in me. So obviously different teams now. Chargers look like an absolute juggernaut in the AFC. 
I don't know who to pick. I, I really don't. I, I just I just can't wait to watch this game. Yeah, I think for me, I, I don't I don't want to pick anybody in this game. I just want to <laughs> sit down and watch it because mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. Um, I, I think what amazes me most about Justin Herbert, and keep in mind, this is year two, is the lack of turnovers. This kid does not turn over the football very often. Um, very, he, he's got the accuracy and the ability to avoid turnovers like Aaron Rodgers, yet he's got the arm strength of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. (laughs) It's really a unique skill set. And I mean, he's fast. He can run. He does a lot of things really well. And I think if you're going to establish yourself as the best team in the AFC, you have to win this game. I I, I think for a lot of reasons, this game is going to be really good. Um, Lamar Jackson had the game of his life last year. Or last year, last this past Monday night, and I typically don't like taking Monday night winners on going into a Sunday game. Um, so for that reason, I, I think the Chargers established themselves as the best team in the AFC with a win over Baltimore, twenty-seven to twenty-four. Um, right now, the Ravens are favored by three and a half. I think that's. A half a point too generous. I know the general rule of thumb for Vegas is the home team is favored by three. Um, I know when it's a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast, they typically favor the home team in that aspect as well. I just think the Chargers are built different. Uh, I, I think the way we talked about Trevor Lawrence in the offseason is probably how we should have spoke about Justin Herbert um, last year. But I, I think that whoever runs Oregon's offense uh, should be fired. Uh, <laughs> the fact that they never unleashed Justin Herbert to this point uh, is an indictment on them. And if you're the Dolphins, you're every time Justin Herbert uh, makes one of those ridiculous throws on the sideline to Mike Williams, you just shake your head because you know two is never making that throw in his life. Uh, and he does it multiple times a week. <laughs> I love uh, – I'm obviously a fan of Eli Manning giving my Giants fandom here. The, the Herbert aspect of just anytime he does make a mistake, he just walks off the field and forgets about it, is an art that every single person in everyday life should have. You're going to make mistakes. The more you dwell on it, the more it's going to affect you going forward. The easiest thing – like the, the hardest thing, but also the best thing you can do is have a short memory, especially at the quarterback position, uh, and Justin Herbert has that for me. Um, I'm going to say the Chargers win this in an absolute crazy game, and I like them 31-30. to 30 over the Baltimore Ravens. And I just think this is going to be an unbelievable game and I can't wait to watch it. All right. Rounding out the one o'clock games or the 10 a.m. games, depending on where you live in this country um, or, you know, depending on where you live in the world, it could be a different time. Uh, Your game, Matt Bushnell, it's the Packers and the Bears, the oldest rivalry in the sport. Uh, (laughs) If you want to call it a rivalry, it's been a buzzword for us in our group chat. Yeah. uh, the, the, the Aaron Rodgers uh, historically has owned the Bears for a long time. I don't need to explain that to you. Um, but this is a new era of Bears football. This is Justin Fields, baby. This this is a uh, it's a new day. Yes, it is. Um, I, I the Packers are coming off of a uh, of a of a nice win uh, over the the Bengals. Obviously, Mason Crosby forgot how to kick field goals for about an hour there, but they eventually got, came away with the win. And the Bears uh, got a big win over the Vegas Raiders, and we briefly touched on them ending the Gruden era, um, but the defense played really well. I didn't get to watch a ton of fields, Matt. I'm sure you'll break that down, though. But uh, both these teams coming off of wins, and um, I, I believe you believe it is a, a new era, especially for the Bears here. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, all right. 
you know, w- w- with all of the shenanigans aside, the Bears played an impressive game against the Raiders. Justin Fields didn't play great. He, d- he didn't play bad. Um, he makes, you know, two really, really good throws in the fourth quarter to extend drives, you know, and to burn the clock. His touchdown pass to Jesper Horstead was really nice, just like elite level type of throws. And I think with Justin Fields, you just want to get to the point where you see growth every week. And you're seeing that from the kid. I mean, he has been unreal as far as growth goes. And the defense, ever since he took over, this defense has taken it to another level. And I'm not sure if you believe in energy, Randy, or if a guy can come in and just change the entire attitude of a team. But that's what it kind of feels like what Justin Fields did. You know, the Bears' defense with Andy Dalton kind of seemed like – Oh, well, you know, it's Andy, so probably not going to win today. So let's just go out there and try hard. But with Justin Fields, they stepped it up a notch. And you could see that, you know, against the Browns until they got tired. You know, they they really struggled once they got tired. But that first half against the Browns, they got a lot of pressure on Baker Mayfield. Then against the Lions, they got to Jared Goff quite a bit. Against Derek Carr, you see that they rattled him. So – for a team that leads the NFL in sacks, going against one of the best quarterbacks to avoid sacks in the history of the NFL and Aaron Rodgers, it's really going to be fascinating. It's almost kind of like we've been here before um, with a Bears defense being you know, better than the Packers defense going against the Packers' strength in their offense. To me, I just get the feeling this is going to be an ugly game for a lot of different reasons. But there's energy to this young buck, Randy. And gosh darn it, I'm taking the Chicago Bears over the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Go Bears! Uh, do you, uh, just, I knew it was coming, and of course it still happens. Um, by the way, can you say the name of the guy who caught Justin Fields' first touchdown pass again? Jesper Horstead. Who the hell is that? <laughs> he is there. Uh, either their third or fourth tight end. That if Justin Fields goes on to have like a remarkable Russell Wilson type career here, the trivia question of who <laughs> caught Justin Fields first touchdown is going to be that, and no one's going to know the freaking answer. So uh, good for that guy. He'll be a trivia stumper for the rest of time. Um, the Bears are getting four and a half points at home here. I just think the Aaron Rodgers reign. Uh, is going to reign supreme here at home. I'm so sorry, Matt, to do this to you, but I do think the Packers win, um, and I think they cover. And I like that. This I like the way the Bears' defense is playing, and I think the way the, the Packers are weird because I think they can match it because I don't think the Bears' offense is good enough to, no. you know, totally expose their defensive issues. Um, so I think this is an ugly game, like you said, but I like the, the you know, I trust Rodgers and I trust Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and the rest of the gang to get the job done ultimately. Um, and, and it's going to come down to if Fields makes a couple mistakes, it's probably going to come back to haunt him as well. Um, and I don't trust Matt Nagy in this game either because, you know, it's Matt Nagy. So um, well, 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 Matt Nagy's not calling plays anymore, buckaroo. It is. But he still makes decisions. Ultimately, he's still on the sideline. So he's a fine um, head coach. I just, okay. I, I, I hate Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator. If Matt Nagy's the offensive coordinator, fire his ass today. <laughs> so Bill Lazor's calling plays for the Bears, right? Yes, Bill Lazor's calling plays for the Bears. All right, so that's optimistic, I guess. Um, 
I think the Bears are competitive in this game. They might even have a lead for a little while in this game, but I think the Packers win 23 to 17. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, until Aaron Rodgers is gone, you'll probably have to live with the Packers just being a bane of your existence, Matt Bushnell. Oh, oh no, 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 my friend. Well, well, maybe for the rest of this year, because I think we both know Aaron Rodgers is gone after this year. But yeah. I didn't give you the score. The Bears 26 to the Packers 24. All right. I feel like there has to be a defensive touchdown in there for the Bears to get to that point. Absolutely. There's always a defensive touchdown. <laughs> okay. All right here. Uh, let's go to the late games on the slate on Sunday. And this is a hell of a matchup as well. This is the undefeated, the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals at 5-0, traveling to Cleveland to play the Browns. Um, we talked about the Browns. Look, they were in a shootout and, you know, they've scored 42 points, somehow managed to lose. We talked so much about their defense. I think that was just a weird game where both offenses were clicking at a high level. I think game flow matters a ton when it comes to that. So I don't know, maybe that's just a game you throw out the window and it's not an indictment on the defense as a whole. Um, but what, what alarms me is that they scored 42 points and Baker Mayfield has a bum shoulder and yet they still can't get in, into a group with Odell Beckham Jr. It drives me up a wall that Baker and Odell can't have this connection. And I don't know if Odell was hurt. They only had like five targets. Uh, he only had two for 20 overall. So that, that drives me crazy as someone who was totally invested in the future of OBJ. Wouldn't shock me if they traded him before the deadline, considering how much money they owe him. And if they're not going to utilize him, uh, I, I know he opens up a ton of things. I know that if you watch the Higgins touchdown, Odell was getting double teamed and it did help uh, Higgins on that play, but the Baker Odell connection, when he physically throws him the ball, uh, it's ugly. I don't understand what the deal is there. Um, nonetheless, the, I think the Browns need to reset, especially defensively and, and let that be their style. They're pounding ground uh, time of possession defensively control the game. Uh, and, you know, I, I like, I like that aspect of their team. I think the Chubb, Kareem Hunt dynamic um, is good enough. I think Baker's arm talent is still good. I, as long as the shoulders aren't affecting him too much, he doesn't make too many mistakes. I think the Browns are fine. And then uh, the Cardinals aspect of things here, 5-0, um, they came up 17-10 over the Niners. Um, the lowest scoring game they've had all year, but probably the best defensive performance. I don't know if you count week one, maybe the Titans with the five sacks. <laughs> um, that, that might help too. Um, I don't know. The Cardinals, I feel like, shouldn't be undefeated. They probably should have lost that Vikings game, especially. Uh, but they didn't, so that's good. Uh, I, I don't know if I trust Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I, I, that's the big thing with the Cardinals for me, as I know they're undefeated, and I know they've looked really good in spurts. Um, but I don't trust the head coach. I trust the Browns more, uh, and I like them at home uh, and being favored by two and a half. What do you make of this game? Yeah, to me – the Cardinals put in some weird performances like that game against San Francisco wasn't very promising because you take a look at San Francisco, they had Trey Lance out there and half their running back core is either listed as questionable or doubtful. And you're just kind of like, man, the 49ers are so beat up. And then you hear Trey Lance hurt his knee and he might miss a couple of weeks. So now you take a look at all this in totality. And I think I'm leaning Browns here. I think the Browns with Miles Garrett and um, Jadavion Clowney will get some pressure on them. I, I do agree with you. Baker Mayfield's got to find that connection with OBJ because it'll just open up another level to that offense that they desperately need. But I, I think with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt running the football, I think that would have a good impact and be able to get some points generated against Arizona so much so 
that they get the win. I, I, I do think it's a close game. I think it's more of a defensive battle. So go ahead and give me Cleveland 22 to the Cardinals 20. Yeah, I just think the Browns style um, and the Cardinals style is sort of, what is it? What do they say? Styles make fights. Uh, is that the old boxing saying? You know, styles yeah. make fights. Um, the Cardinals very much play a college style, West Coast spread them out offense. Um, and the Browns play an old school run the ball physicality on both sides. Uh, they went in the trenches a ton. Uh, I love that aspect of them as well. I just think the Cardinals are going to have a hard time containing that run game of the Browns. And I'm just surprised Kevin Stefanski can't figure out this OBJ thing. Uh, I, I trusted him to do that, and he hasn't to this point. So maybe it's just not going to happen. But as long as the Browns continue to win games, ultimately, you know, wide receivers and running backs are luxury positions. Um, and, you know, they have all the other pieces in place. Uh, I do like the defense at home. I think they figure out – and Kyler is a hard guy to contain. He's a hard guy to figure out in general. So I'm not saying people are going to stop him totally, but I do think they make his life a little tough in this game. And Kyler has a, you know, tendency to maybe throw a couple interceptions here and there. So I think maybe that's what happens here. And I, I don't know how Garrett could, like – Give, give Kyler a nice stick. I think he would probably die if, if Garrett actually got a hold of him. <laughs> Garrett next to Kyler is probably going to be equivalent to that Aaron Judge, Jose Altuve picture. Uh, so I don't know if he'll actually get like a clean hit on him at all, but uh, I like the Browns here at home. They're getting two and a half. I like them to cover. Uh, I'm going to say uh, 21 to 17 Cleveland uh, in a damn good football game. All right, let's move on uh, to the Raiders uh, in their first game post John Gruden. Um, They're taking on the Broncos, who we already talked about the Raiders. Um, well, we didn't talk about their – we talked about their game a little bit, but um, Derek Carr left for briefly, but ultimately they, they, they had a bad showing, I would say, against the Bears. And you could touch more on that, Matt, because I didn't get to watch a ton of that game. Um, but the Broncos, I, I was all over it. I did not like the matchup against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Uh, Teddy did come back, but ultimately when you have TJ Watt back at home, the Steelers are going to be a tough out. I know that they're bad offensively, but you got good Big Ben in that game. The offensive playmakers played well, and the Broncos looked like a team that uh, is starting to play good teams. And that's unfortunate because we really liked their 3-0 start, and we really liked them coming into the year. But that said, I like the Broncos in this spot. I think the Raiders are in disarray as an organization, and I think their players are in a bad spot as well to overcome that sort of thing. Um, so Vic Fangio, I think he's going to have a get right here. I think the Broncos are going to be looking at four and two after this game, and the Raiders are just looking like they're a freaking mess this year. Yeah, to, to me, uh, with the Raiders against the Bears, it just really came down to the Bears dominated them up front on both sides of the football. And we talked about the physicality portion of it. When you impose your will on another team and they count and they cannot answer, it takes its toll. And the Bears ran for over 150 yards on those Las Vegas Raiders. And I can imagine the Broncos are going to take that same kind of philosophy and try to get the car and run the football down their throats. So I agree. I, I think this spells a Broncos win. I think the Raiders are just. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to see this team because you want to believe in the 3-0 and start, but this is always kind of the Raiders' M.O. They start off hot, then they just start sucking for whatever reason. So, to me, give me the Broncos 24 to the Raiders 10. Yeah, the Broncos are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. 
anytime you have a team with major distractions and major turmoil midseason, I, I typically try to stay away from them. Um, the leadership is not there with the Raiders right now. And Mark Davis is not uh, the right guy to sort of rally the troops here. I don't know anything about the mid, uh, the interim coach, uh, but he's in a terrible spot. I think the Broncos stability is enough here to get the job done in this divisional matchup. Uh, I like Denver 28 to the Raiders 20 uh, at mile high. All right. The last of the late games, and this is probably America's game of the week because the self-proclaimed America's team is back. Uh, they're going to get every one of these slots because the freaking Cowboys, as much as it pains me, are a good football team. Um, Dak Prescott coming back from his shoulder looks really good. Uh, Mari Cooper, CD Lamb duo looks really good as well. Plus you add the Zeke, Tony Pollard dynamic. They are, I don't know if they're the most balanced offense in the league, but if they're not, I don't know who's better than them because they run the ball really well. They throw the ball really well. Um, and they play defense just good enough to not blow the games for them. And that is a dangerous thing because when you have a good offense, all you hope for is an average defense and then your offense can take care of the rest. So Dallas is looking like a complete team and a legit contender in the NFC. Uh, they handled their business against the Giants. I think the Giants lingered a little longer than people expected, but ultimately Dallas pulled away. Um, Trevon Diggs uh, added another <laughs> interception to his streak. He has been unbelievable. Um, and overall, the, the Cowboys defense pressured the Giants uh, time and time again, whether it was Daniel Jones or uh, Mike Lennon. On the flip side, the Patriots um, – I don't want to be dramatic, Matt, but um, they're dead. What we knew of the New England Patriots in this this dynasty that they had is dead. Uh, And I I think looking back, we could say it died uh, the day they lost to the Titans in that uh, wild card round. They are over. The New England Patriots run of dominance is toast. Um, Maybe this is extra a hot takey today, but I'm feeling a little spicy at the moment, Matt. Whether it was Belichick or Brady, the argument is over. It's Brady. To me, Brady led the charge there and he was the driving force. Belichick has made countless questionable roster decisions time and time again. He is a great defensive coach. There's no doubt about that. But offensively, he is overrated. Josh McDaniels is incredibly overrated. Having Tom Brady lead your offense for 18 years makes your job easy. Um, You did not put any talent around him, and at the end, he got sick of it, and I think he was right to leave. The Patriots, I thought we're going to run away. It's the Texans, and I don't only failed to do that is he barely won the game. Uh, Mac Jones looks about as much a game manager as you could possibly have. Uh, Damian Harris, who went on four fantasy leagues, has a fumble in every freaking game. He's annoying. I hate him too. Um, they paid a bunch of money to Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar for what? They don't make any plays. They're not difference makers. Uh, the Patriots are incredibly frustrating to me. They're done. The Cowboys are going to roll the Patriots here. I love the Cowboys in this spot. And I'm sorry, Patriots fans. It's over. The Bills are the new you you have to watch the bills do what you did to them for two decades um and i don't want to say this is the patriots eulogy because i think i said a couple years ago it was then but looking back hindsight 2020 the patriots are dead yeah i i think you take a look at a lot of things and uh digs for the cowboys has more interceptions than 16 teams yep which is just crazy The, the cowboys Look, I, I love these Cowboys. I, I go back to physical football, Randy, imposing your will. They will run the football down your throat until you puke, and then they'll run it down some more so you puke some more. 
And then, oh, by the way, they're going to hit you with that play action. C.D. Lamb's going to burn you for 70 yards. This team's reminding me a lot of those 90s, those early 90s Cowboys teams. You shut your mouth. I am sorry here, but you take a look at what they can do. They're opportunistic defensively. They can get to the passer. And, oh, by the way, they have a stud running back, and they can run killer play action, much like Alvin Harper and Michael Irvin. To, To me, this Dallas Cowboys team has it all. I think they're the second best team in the NFC. Right now, if you ask me, the second best. Only team better than them is the Tampa Bay Tomineers. So, <laughs> and they almost beat them in Tampa Bay too. So don't forget yeah. that. So yeah. this, this Dallas team is a good football team. I love what they do. I love Zeke. I love C.D. Lamb. I love Amari Cooper. I love Michael Gallup. Um, you know, their tight end position is good. I like their tight end position. I mean, Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin are just like two random like carbon <laughs> copies of Jason Witten who like just drive me up a wall. Like I can't stand they just like develop these white tight ends who get first downs on third and seven every time. Drives me freaking nuts. I, I hate them. Yeah, but you got to admit, man, it, it feels like it, doesn't it? it? It kind of feels like it's, you know, they got the formula now and th- this team can make a run. This team very commi- – I mean, Mike McCarthy is their head coach, which is bamboozling in its own right. But maybe Mike McCarthy unlocked another level to Dak Prescott. I want you to look at the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys as well. Um, Dan Quinn um, has really done a number for this defense. And obviously he was great for the Seahawks back in the day, had a nice run with the Falcons. Obviously that ran its course but he's come in and really set the tone defensively for something they haven't had in a while. And it's frustrating that the Cowboys are making smart decisions on their coaching <laughs> staff, um, much to my dismay. Um, Cause here's the thing. It's not just CD lamb. Amari Cooper is just as good, if not better than CD lamb. The guy is a legit number one receiver. He's every time they play the giant uh, giants, he scores a touchdown. It's ridiculous. Um, and as good as Zeke Elliott is, Tony Pollard comes in and is more explosive than Zeke is. Tony Pollard comes off the edge and just plows through a linebacker for a first down. You're like, who the hell is this guy? And it just goes to like to my point, like running backs are replaceable, but to have that one-two threat uh, is so key because they're different styles. And anyone, I, I, this is for the Giants fans out there, if you're watching or listening to me. Watch the difference in how Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley run the football. Ezekiel Elliott, when there's nowhere to go, plants his foot and cuts north and puts his shoulder into somebody and falls forward and gets as many inches as he possibly can. Saquon Barkley will dance. He will kick it outside and maybe he'll get a yard. Maybe. But the difference is Saquon is a real Saquon needs the home run to be a reliable running back where Zeke is the traditional ground and pound guy. Who's going to wear down a defense, get you the four yards of carry that you need. And overall, at the end of the day, you're going to look back as a defense and go, damn, that guy really just bullied us. Barkley doesn't implement that to me as a running back. I value what Zeke does so much more than what I value what Saquon Barkley does. And Zeke does not lack in the passing game. He still can catch screens and still makes people miss. To me, Zeke is so much more of a complete back than Saquon is, and it's so frustrating to see how he just likes to punish the defenses. And I can't remember the last time Saquon went and actually trucked somebody and, and pointed and went like this afterwards. 
Zeke is the best blocking running back, best also pass good. blocking running back in football. What, what he does pass blocking is what every young running back should look at and be that, you know, I need to do that because he is excellent at pass blocking. And I couldn't agree with you more, Randy. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've gone the entire episode without cussing. So kudos to me. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I want to break this streak or not. But <laughs> <Then> you do. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Um, but with, with Saquon, I just, I, I agree with you. I, there's a lot of something there to Saquon that just doesn't inspire confidence for me that that guy is the type of running back that's going to be on a winning football team. Um, it's very selfish, I think, on how he goes about running the football. Because like you said, if Zeke doesn't feel that the hold is there or if, if nothing else is outside, like you said, he's planning that leg and going north. You know, it's not, you know, oh, let me downtown out here. I've seen Saquon lose more yards on a run play than I've ever seen Zeke lose on a run play. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good, good call out there. Absolutely right. I know I'm like the guy who hates everything about the Giants, but it's true. I mean, you you just look at the styles. Like, I know not everything's pretty. Not everything has to be hero ball. Sometimes the two yards is is enough. And that uh, sometimes the two yards in clouded dust keeps the defense honest. Um, not every time do you need to make a spin move, make seven men juke, and then maybe get back to the line of scrimmage. Uh, it doesn't, all it does is just, it looks great on a highlight tape, but it doesn't look, it doesn't, it's not as effective as you think it is. To me, Zeke is much more of a winning player than Saquon is. And it, it, it you could just see the difference in how they play. And, and honestly, uh, it helps that the offensive line for the Cowboys is better. But even if the Giants offensive line is better, Saquon will always kick the ball outside and not deliver blows to the defense, how I would prefer. Like we, I grew up watching Brandon Jacobs truck guys and like literally see contact just to say, hey, you try to tackle me so I can bury you into the ground. <laughs> so the next time you come near me, you're thinking about it. Like Saquon doesn't instill that sort of fear. I mean, he instills more fear in the secondary so they don't get beat deep, but that's maybe you should play wide receiver then. I don't know. To, to me, he's frustrating. And watching Zeke, it's just kind of, I know he was a, a fourth overall pick too. still too high of a running back pick for my leg. But to me, he does things that I value in a running back more. Yeah. So, all right. With that, make your prediction. We went this whole time without making a prediction. So, Cowboys and Patriots, what what do you got? Give me the Cowboys 35 to the Patriots 10. Uh, that's, that's big. That's a big blow out there. Uh, the Pats are four and a half point dogs. Um, unless Bill Belichick summons another monsoon, like he did against the Bucks, I expect this also to be a blowout once again. Uh, I do respect the Pats defense at home, uh, to a point. So, uh, I'll say the, you know, the Cowboys 27 to the Pats nine, um, but week by week, I'm kind of out on Mac Jones, by the way. So I know he does things, but the, the, the ceiling is, is pretty low. I think, um, the more we, the more we, uh, get to see of him. All right, primetime games, Sunday night football, and I think they had different ideas in mind when they had originally scheduled this, um, but it is the Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks <laughs> traveling to Pittsburgh to play the geriatric uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> Um, well, we talked about the Seahawks and the Geno Smith experience from last week, but the Steelers, hey, they got a big win against a good Broncos team. 
the defense played lights out. I think it was the the best game we've seen from Najee Harris to this point. Chase Claypool made plays. Deontay Johnson is, is, is a really good wide receiver that no one ever talks about. Um, when you look at the, the Steelers, um, it's clear that Big Ben's arm is not as much as the issue as is the speed of the game itself and his ability to move and evade hits like he used to. Um, so to me, it's Big Ben kind of holds them back in a way. But if they play, if the offensive line improves, like I thought it did last week, I thought they held the Broncos front line in check uh, for the most part, um, then they'll be okay. And this is a good spot for the Steelers to get Geno Smith at home because now we're going to be looking at the Steelers as a 500 team with uh, wins over the Broncos and the Bills under their belt. And I don't think that's anything to sneeze at. And as much as I don't think they're going to be great or even a playoff team, uh, the defense is good enough to do that. Um, And without Russell Wilson, I think the Seahawks are absolutely going to stink. I think this is a bad spot for them here in primetime. I'm just going to give you the score. I don't even want to break it down because this game is going to suck so much if you're a Seahawks fan. But give me the Steelers 21 to the Seahawks 9. I just I can't see the Seahawks generating enough offense. Uh, I expect TJ Watt to make uh, Geno Smith's life uh, pretty bad in this game. So, um, yeah, I like the Steelers to win. I think it'll be a defensive game. Um, I like the Steelers uh, 20 to 10. Um, And, you know, the Seahawks are going to be bad. All right. Now, Monday Night Football, this is going to be an opposite of that game, I think. And as much as I don't care for the Titans, I do think they're capable of putting up points. Um, And the Buffalo Bills, no one circles the wagons like them, and they are an absolute wagon in their own right. I think Barstool, uh, Big Cat, the guy on the most part of my take, says the best. Every time the Bills score, he says the Bills are a wagon. And I love that phrase for them. It's it's appropriate given the the Chris Berman saying. Um, the, The Bills are going to Tennessee to play the Titans on Monday Night Football. I don't think the Titans defense is going to offer much resistance for the Bills. So I expect the Bills to put up a ton of points, but I wonder how much points the Titans are going to put up back. So I expect this game to be a shootout, but I just think the Bills offense is too potent for the Titans. Yeah, I, I like the Bills here a lot, just because I think the Bills are going to really want to establish themselves in their own right as the best team in the AFC. I, Tennessee, uh, defensively, they can get beaten a lot of different ways. And what I saw from Josh Allen this past weekend, I think Josh Allen will be more than happy to oblige um, the Tennessee Titans defense, giving up a bunch of points and yards. So to me, I think Derrick Henry should have a good game. um, And I think Josh Allen should have a good game, but give me the Buffalo bills 31 to the Tennessee Titans, 28. Um, I worry about game script for Derrick Henry in this game because the Buffalo shoots out to a two-score lead early. Uh, I could kind of take Derrick Henry out of it, but I will say Henry's passing volume has gone up a ton this year, comparatively speaking to years past. So maybe that doesn't eliminate him completely, but Julio practice this week. He should be back to have him and A.J. Brown back will be nice for the Titans. Um, I expect a shootout, uh, a full-blown shootout. I know the Bills defense has been good to this point, but I think the Titans um, are capable of scoring a bunch too. So uh, I like the Bills 45 to the Titans 35 and an exciting shootout on Monday night football bang, bang, down in Tennessee. Give me those um, fantasy points for Julio. Oh yeah. And I, I picked up Dawson Knox. So I think he's been making some plays for the bills as well. So uh, I like that too. Um, 
Uh, we have bye weeks, by the way. I, I should bring this up. Uh, this week is the first week we've had buys, and we have the Falcons, the Saints, the Jets, and the Niners all on buys. Uh, probably much needed buy for the two teams traveling to London, and the Niners dealing with more injuries than they know what to do with. So <laughs> that, that this is the first week, and next week's worse with buys. So if you're in a fantasy league, uh, I would brace for week seven buys now uh, and, and avoid the mess of the waiver wire that's going to be next week. Uh, question in the chat is, are you starting Knox over Waller? I mean, that's an interesting question. I think Waller is still great and still elite. I don't know if I would do that, but I think Knox is worthy of a flex play, even if you do have Waller in that spot. I think Knox has shown that he has value every single week. And I think in fantasy right now, he has the third most uh, fantasy points for tight ends. So um, I think he, he's worthy of a roster spot, even if you're not playing him over Waller at this point. Well, that's a good question. I, I think Waller is in a very unique position um, with that dysfunction going on in the Raiders locker room. I, you, you know, the one thing you don't want is to have stress uh, on a team that's struggling to win. And, you know, the Bills seem like they're in a groove. You know, Josh Allen's developing that relationship with them. The book is out on car that if you get to them and you hit them early, you know, he's going to fold like a cheap chair. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Randy, but I'm kind of not like, I, I hate the idea of starting a tight end at flex. I get it. But to me at the end of the day, there's your other options. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I think what scares me is like Waller can be shut out. Like he was in the bears game. Like the bears just took Waller out of the game completely. Mm-hmm. And then the Broncos, their, their defense is legit. They got a good defense. Mm-hmm. But Waller's also capable of breaking out and giving you 10 catches for 120 yards and one or two touchdowns. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, the higher upside's Waller, but are you going to get that from him? And I don't know. Just for reference, too, I don't know if this helps you or not, but I'm in – a league where I have Tyler Higby as my main tight end. And I did pick up Knox and Higby is kind of hit or miss touchdown reliant tight end, but he's playing the giants this week. I know if I bench Tyler Higby, he's going to score a touchdown against the Giants. (laughs) So I have to keep Higby in my lineup, but I have two flex spots. So I'm playing Knox in one of those flex plus spots, because I do think that's going to be a crazy high scoring game and Knox will still score me fantasy points. So maybe you don't have the luxury of having two two flex spots, but that's kind of my logic. And I know, you know, that's my own personal giants opinion there, but um, Knox is certainly worthy of that consideration for sure. Um, all right, so Matt, do you want to tease next shows first? Or do you want to do the unfortunate ending to the show first? What do you want? To, what do you want to do? Uh, we can go ahead and tease the shows. I know we have the Work Shoot Wrestling podcast and Wrestling Life on Thursdays. We have, you know, Basketball Life's the step back with. Well, let me preface by saying Wrestling Life, the Work Shoot Wrestling podcast with Corey Richman and um, Jason Jason Brooks. Great show. Love it. Fantastic, guys. Our Friday, we have Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses with the step back. A lot of NBA stuff, Randy. Your Lakers look like a hot-ass mess. Against those <laughs> They're Stakers. very old. They are very old. <laughs> very old indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, I, I know a lot of the other podcasts are kind of dormant right now. So we'll be back on Tuesday with another award-winning episode of The Audible. 
Yeah, so the mixed in that, uh, I'm sure Donk City will be doing some playoff uh, shows mixed in. I'm unsure of when or where. Um, and that kind of leads us to the ending of the show, Matt, because if you've been if, if you've been watching or listening to us all season long, all all year, you know of our bet. Uh, <laughs> ahead of the baseball season back in April, I bet Matt Bushnell that the Yankees would make it further than his White Sox. Um, and here we stand today with both of our teams <laughs> eliminated from the postseason. But by uh, the definition of the rule, the White Sox won two more games than the Yankees did and made it a full round further. So congratulations, buddy. You win the bet. Despite your lack of sportsmanship uh, during the AL wildcard game last week, you still won the bet. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and now we have to watch the worst ALCS possible uh, in the dumb Astros and the dumb Boston Red Sox. And I, I hate everything about baseball. So it's hockey season. The Rangers are on right now. I'm really looking forward to hockey. You know, I'm a really big hockey guy now. And then basketball, obviously. And then, you know, I, you know, football, my fantasy teams are doing good. Matt, I freaking hate baseball and I hate the Red Sox and I hate the Astros. How did this happen? How did we get here? This was a week ago. We were both so optimistic and so excited for the playoffs. And less than, you know, and eight days later, here we are. Just seasons are over with a ton of question marks going into 2022. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for my White Sox, it was a positive step in, in the right direction because they were so young. I think they had three rookies on their roster this year on the playoff roster. Um, for, for the Yankees, I don't get it, Randy. Like you guys had everything except for a competent manager <laughs> who couldn't seem to put together a lineup or a pitching rotation or a bullpen. So I, I, I don't know. Like if I'm the White Sox, I, I know I have to make some moves. If I'm the Yankees, I don't know how you bring back that idiot. Like Aaron Boone, like I've watched some more Yankee games towards the end of the season, kind of doing some scouting. That guy's an idiot. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like you obviously can, you have nothing to hold your head on when you're a White Sox fan. You think you, you know, you won the division, you, you, you battled, battled against the Astros who may or may not still be cheating. I don't know, but you know, a couple moves here and there, you guys have a good enough young core where you're going to be relevant for a long time. Uh, the issue with the Yankees is that they came in as the AL favorite to make the World Series, uh, and not, they backed into a wild card game uh, somehow, and they not only lost to a Red Sox team who was supposed to be rebuilding, they got owned on national television, and Garrett Cole couldn't even go more than three innings, and... The Yankees had six hits total, three of them by Giancarlo Stanton, and three of them should have been home runs, but, you know, you have a stupid green monster in, right, in left field, so they prevented that from happening. Um, so I'm not salty about that or anything still. Um, but, you know, you lose that game 6-2, to two and you didn't hit enough, and I think not having D.J. LeMahieu in the lineup hurt, too, in that game because it uh, really thinned out your lineup. After Giancarlo Stanton, it was Joey Gallo, and then it fell off of a cliff on guys who were pretty unreliable. So, um, and now you look back a week later, and not only did the Red Sox eliminate you, they eliminate the Rays, and now they're in the Final Four again. So, worst-case scenario possible for me as a Yankee fan. Um if the Yankees move forward and bring back Aaron Boone, it is an admission of complacency. It is, we're fine with how this season played out. We're okay with getting embarrassed by our division rival in the playoffs and watching them in a rebuilding year, uh, potentially win the pennant. Um, we are okay with his boneheaded bullpen decisions time and time again, pulling starters in the fifth inning if they give up a single hit, uh, willing to burn out the bullpen by July, um, making questionable lineup decisions. And look, I know Boone's not the only problem with the team, but I 
think you cannot sit there, bring him back, bring Tim's back and just say, Hey, everything that happened in 2021 was fine. We'll figure it out. It's all the players fault. I, I know the players didn't perform in the wild card game, but your team was also not good enough in all season long to avoid that situation. So uh, if Cashman and, and Hal look at this, look at this and evaluate it and decide that Boone is fine and not the problem, then Yankee fans have a real case to be pretty mad going forward. And I think, you know, Cashman was already on the hot seat for a lot of us. Uh, and then even be even more so going into the future. So I'm um, not looking forward to dressing up like Andy Dalton for you in the future, but unfortunately that's the bet that was made. Um, and I don't know when the agreement is. I hope it's not the draft because I would like to, uh, um, <laughs> I'd like to have a normal bachelor party, but uh, you know, a bet's a bet. And if that's the case, then I have to honor that. So maybe Super Bowl weekend. Okay. I'll do a show with the Andy Dalton stuff. I don't care. I, that, that doesn't bother me. Okay. You, you got to grow the beard out. You got to get the glasses. I'll dye it orange and everything for you. I don't care. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been our bet, our final bet update for now until uh, I pay it off. Uh, overall, uh, it, there was a, the craziest baseball season I can remember. And I'm glad as a Yankee fan, it's finally freaking over. Um, and I'm rooting for the national league. So I don't care if it's the Dodgers, the giants, the Braves, just please, please, please win the world series. Don't yes. let one of those two teams win for the love of God, please don't let <laughs> one of those two teams win. Amen. I think you're, you're, uh, you're in agreement with me there, right, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. I'm full Dodger mode right now. All right. Well, maybe the other Giants can represent the name Giants with, with honor and dignity, unlike the team from uh, New Jersey. Uh, okay. That does it for us on this episode of Football Life Presents the Audible. Whether you're watching us on Facebook Live, YouTube, or listening to us on the audio-only platforms, we appreciate you making us a small part of your day. Uh, I know we're a day late, so thank you for bearing with us for that. Matt is a trooper dealing with this episode for us today, fighting through the pain. Uh, Matt, do you have any parting words for the audience? Care about your fellow man. <laughs> Amen. Golden rule is always one to end it off with uh, in a great way. Uh, all right. I'm, at, I'm ready to have it on behalf of Matt Bushnell saying <laughs> see you guys next week. Enjoy week six.